0: You won't want to miss Andrew and Gina battling it out about supply chain and logistics on last week's episode. This is Two Babes Talk Supply Chain, where we interview the top supply chain professionals in the industry. You will learn about best practices, changes in the industry, and hot topics in supply chain. We answer all your questions and put the sexy into your supply chain. We are your hosts, Sarah and Nick.
1: Are you struggling to make the most out of your supply chain and keep orders moving efficiently? IceCorp is your supply chain specialist. They specialize in e-commerce, retail, and drop ship distribution. They provide you with tailor-made solutions that will drive your business and sales forward. You can get a free assessment. Visit them at icecorp.ca. Check out their learning center as they have some great free resources waiting just for you.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Two Babes Talk Supply Chain. It is a beautiful fall day in Toronto, and joining us is the infamous Ken O'Brien from Gemini Shippers Group. Ken is on the pulse when it comes to shipping, so this episode will be jam-packed with some really useful information and insights. Ken joined Gemini in 2015 as Chief Operating Officer. Ken is the founding president of Big Box Small Box, an analytics consulting and SaaS firm engaged in providing companies with innovative ways to leverage their data assets to improve performance. Prior to founding Big Box Small Box, Ken spent 21 years in the liner shipping industry with APL and Hapag Lloyd. He held various senior trade management and operations roles, including managing APL's 3 billion Pacific P&L as senior vice president of the Trans-Pacific Trade. Ken received his Bachelor of Science degree in Maritime Administration from Texas A&M and has a Master of Science degree in Business Analytics from the Leonard N. Stern School of Business at New York University. Ken is the Vice President of the Board of Directors of the New Jersey 211 Partnership. Welcome, Ken. We are so excited to be chatting to you today about the demand curve and getting your take into where shipping is going. But before we get into that, can you tell us a little bit more about Gemini Shippers Group?
2: Sure. Good afternoon, Sarah. So Gemini Shippers Group has a history of almost 100 years um, representing originally exporters and manufacturers of handbags and other fashion accessories in North America. In 1986, when the Shipping Act uh, was enacted to change the way companies could contract, um, they formed as one of the first shippers' associations in North America. So, a shippers' association, for those not familiar, essentially is a membership-based organization. Um, people join, their companies join Gemini, and then um, we help them procure ocean freight rates with, with ocean carriers. So we are combining the aggregated volume of our member companies um, to leverage both price and service, getting them a better product uh, for their ocean freight needs. And then in addition to, you know, ultimately giving them a better, hopefully a better price and product, we help them with a host of other ancillary things in supply chain that maybe small and medium shippers might not be able to do on their own. It's a not-for-profit organization, and uh, and we're today, uh, if we were if we were to categorize ourselves as a, as a direct importer well it's it's been a busy 24 months i think you know most people who, who follow this even even on the periphery have seen um, anytime the container shipping makes the wall street journal or the mainstream media you know something's going on so really what happened is uh, since really 2014 um, the industry's been on a, a bit of a roller coaster ride driven by increased supply of capacity driven by the carriers building bigger ships and, and if you step and walk that back a bit, those bigger ships um, was really driven by a rush to get to lower unit cost and scale. So what we saw was uh, starting in after the financial crisis most of the big liner companies buying much bigger ships to try and drive unit costs down to account for rising operational cost and, and really their primary cost of fuel that drove this race, and I'll call it an arms race, to big ships to drive unit costs down, um, which unfortunately timed against overcapacity because demand flattened. So, you know, when we talk about the demand curve for shipping, most people would talk about a look back on, on taking a multiplier of, of GDP, and that would kind of give you your, your a good guess on where your demand would be. And what we've seen over the last 10 years really is a flattening of that demand ratio between GDP and, and actual containerized demand, and there's lots of lots of good reasons for that. So, in the last 24 months, what we've really seen is increasing capacity met with relatively muted demand by what I would say is a, a relatively muted global industrial climate. Um, that has led to significant rate volatility, mostly downward over the last 24 months, um, which has led to a you know and ultimately a need for carriers to find other ways to to, to make a uh, an economic profit or at least to lose less um so what we really seen was in in a time where an industry that was pretty stable for for a, quite a while a spate of mergers and acquisitions over the last 24 months um and then in the most recent this summer the declared bankruptcy of hanjin shipping which uh has, has really changed the landscape taking, you know, ultimately five carriers that existed a, a year ago will will not be operational companies a year from now um, and that is uh, that is kind of in a, in a nutshell where we are today
1: uh, Speaking on that, Ken what happened with Hanjing? Like, I didn't hear anything about any troubles they were having and then all of a sudden I got this email saying they went bankrupt
2: <laughs> I think a lot of people feel that way you know, I, I, it really comes down to, um, and I guess it, it, it applies to hand shipping or to any other shipping company or to our own personal finances. If you finance your operation on debt, uh, sooner or later something has to change. And, and I think in a perfect world, what happens is demand increases and you your revenue goes up and you're able to you're able to move yourself out of the position. And, and in Hanjin's case, they really they ran out of time on the debt. Um, so over the last number of years, as they were not able to make a, an operational you know, positive return, they were still buying ships and doing all the things that shipping companies have to do just to exist. It's an incredibly cash-intensive business. Um, and they just piled on the debt, and eventually they got to a point this summer where, although the debt was there, and I think most people... Nominally knew that there was a lot of debt tied to their company. I think very few people thought that, you know, the banks ultimately would would force the hand of the company to take action, and that's really what happened. They, uh, they could no longer uh, continue to borrow, and, uh, and with booming debts, um, a reorganization, I guess, was the uh, the decision.
0: Yeah, I so I guess I guess you know what does that mean for shippers? I was reading a blog earlier today, um, and it said the research firm Drury predicts industry losses of at least five billion dollars U.S. in two thousand and sixteen. So, what what does that mean for everybody?
2: You know, I I think I, I read the same I read the same posting and certainly we we've spent a lot of time trying to help educate our members on on what you know what is the financial position of the the major carriers that they that people use and and what you see is in the short term containerized shipping is 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 not a very good business to be in right now um, Rates generally are not covering costs so over the long term if you can although I think many of them would say they're making a a profit on a variable basis i e they they're better off operating than not. You know, they're not putting enough money against their balance sheets to retire the, the debt load of all these ships. So for my side, I guess what that really means is over the course of the next number of years, there has to be some, some, some shifts in, in how things go. I think the carriers have, you know, engaged in self-help. Um, most of them have worked really, really hard on trying to drive, um, waste out of their, out of their operations and reducing their unit cost. And when you read their financials, most have done a very good job of, of scaling up their business to drive unit cost down, um, using bigger ships that earn less fuel per container transported. Um, but at the core of it, it's the revenue side that'll have to change over time, um, can't save your way out of this, I would say.
1: So what changes do you foresee in 2017 when it comes to shipping?
2: Well, you know, I think the core of this is a supply and demand business. And, and right now, even with even with Hanjin um, ultimately leaving the industry effectively. The ships that Hanjin owned and and chartered, those still exist. So, you know, the ultimate capacity of ships in the market versus the demand for freight to move um, still suggests that there's too much capacity. I think certainly what we see is new orders of ships by carriers have have all but stopped. So there's there's lots of ships still to be delivered, you know, that were ordered two and three years ago. It takes a couple of years to get a ship. Um, But what as those ships come in, this, this overhang of capacity barring some strong change in the demand side probably means that rates, just from a supply and demand standpoint, stay under pressure. I think what carriers ultimately have to try and do is see if they can work their way to slow general rate increases to move their price points up above, not only above variable profits and variable operating profits, but how they can actually start to make some money that helps them retire debt and and, and be truly profitable. And so I guess as shippers, um, we have to see that balance of if you know you're, you know, a vendor or a partner that you work with isn't making money. um, And and, and I think we can say with authority that they're not, you know, that many of them are not able to to make a positive return. You, You know, it makes no sense to try and get low rates to the point of driving your... Your supplier out of Um, business—that doesn't work Um, because I don't think most of us uh, who are either shippers or represent shippers want to particularly become shipping companies. Um, Yeah, I think some some trend towards rates going up is probably an inevitable and realistic uh, expectation.
0: So make sure that it's in your margin. I mean, we're all in business to make money. Nobody's in business to you know ultimately lose money. And I think. I think you're right. I think, you know, it, it. it is part of the supplier's responsibility to make sure that their their vendors or suppliers or shipping lines, you know, are making money. And, and yes, those, those rates are going to increase the bottom line. But I think that's one of the things that shippers should be aware of and should be preparing for in 2017. Would you agree with that?
2: Yeah, I mean... In the short term, I think you know we saw with Hanjin, with Hanjin really stopping with a kind of a, a cold stop in the Trans-Pacific, we saw the short-term rates certainly popped up and, and considerably went up, and they're starting to tail off now as, as kind of the peak shipping season starts to uh, starts to wane. So I think you have a kind of a, a, a two-pronged part to this. The first would say there's still too much supply. Um, rates still are going to be under pressure. The other part is there has been this, you know, this acknowledgement when when most of your top companies in a trade um, are going through some form of M&A or restructure, um, it's probably time to to say, well, this is probably not long-term sustainable. If I had to guess... um, Rates in in this 16 to 17 contract cycle were were very low, Um, and uh, I would think that probably maybe for some would say too low. I think the carriers would certainly argue too low, and I think some shippers might as well agree with that. Um, So I would say flat and moderate increases in in the next year, but I I think as as supply and demand gets more back in balance in, in 18 and into 19, then you start to say, this has to change, you know, more materials.
1: Ken, you just said an acronym, M&A. Could you just explain to our viewers what that means?
2: Yeah, so mergers and acquisition activity in liner space is interesting. You've had you've had really three, the two Chinese carriers, um, Costco and China shipping going through a merger, um, the acquisition of NOL, which operates as APL, um, by CMA, and then ultimately the, uh, which then, they also involved the company US lines which was owned by CMA as well and then Hapag Lloyd um, merging though looking a lot like an acquisition but merging with UASC um, so right right in that in that group that really essentially took you know three of the top 20 lines and, and brought them inside of another company um, pretty significant in a although fragmented uh, industry not a you know, the top 20 represent uh, you know 98% of the company, So to take out um, you know four of the brands in one shot is pretty big.
0: Yeah, that's that's huge to any industry. So, I guess the next question then would be, you know, how can our how can our audience how can the shippers stabilize their supply chain uh, with all of these mergers, all of these changes, all of all of the different things that are happening in the industry? What would what would be your suggestions? Maybe maybe some takeaways on on how they can stabilize their supply chain
2: yeah I mean, you know along with the along with the companies merging and, and changing it really the, the bigger story and in probably in, in, that exists is the alliances. And, and you know, just like the airline alliances, the the containerized shipping alliances um, play a big factor in this. And so while while you're potentially contracting with your carrier, your carrier is also partners with three or four different alliance partners or six alliance partners. Um, in one case, and now these, as these different combinations of businesses occur, all of these alliances will change. So, you know, by next spring, the entire landscape looks different. So that's an entirely different route network with entirely different partners, potentially going to different terminals and different ports. So for shippers, um, as you kind of plan forward, how do you how do you keep your supply chain stable as your underlying uh, base of, of You know, transportation is moving around. I think what we tell people is certainly you have to be nimble to be able to adopt so the the network that your your cargo rides on today may be different and most likely will be different six months from now. How are you going to deal with that? What if that port pair that you ship on, be it A to B, what if the transit time is going to change in their new network, or what if they're just not going to call those two ports anymore? Um, the other part I think you have to do is really stay informed um, and that's probably the hardest part because, you know, I think as an ex-carrier and now someone who helps shippers um, I think it's, it was always my belief that everyone kind of had the same information I had and what I really find is information in, in minor shipping is asymmetrical some people know a lot and some people don't um, as shippers, I think the ones who will and I, 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 I'm reticent to use the word win but the ones who will do better um, will have more information and I think that really requires knowing two things. Knowing your your true needs for, for your product and, and, and you know that really involves working inside your own company on understanding you know what your merchants are selling and, and who they're selling it to and how fast it's going off the shelves. And then ultimately understanding those suppliers. So really getting to know your providers and so as we as we talk about how we help companies, you know, we say One of the benefits of the Shippers Association is we certainly get lots of good contact point inside the carrier basin. So we really are ingrained in understanding their business. Um, And also what they need is carriers. You know, carriers, like everyone else, there's customers we love, there's customers we like, there's lanes we like, there's lanes we don't like. Understanding the business needs of the carrier and trying to fit the cargo into that network so that it's a win-win, I think, as you find right now, certainly every carrier certainly appreciates an informed customer um, and so I would say for shippers knowing your carrier and understanding what would make them more you a more desirable customer um, and then having the ability to be nimble to adjust your product um, shipments to fit that network change or that new network or that carrier those would be probably the two levers that I think shippers really need to be able to pull. Um, all the time, but in particular as we go in 2017.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a good point. I mean, there's always the risk mitigation and contingency factors. And I think both of those speak to, you know, companies having or shippers having, you know, that contingency plan which will help mitigate some of that risk. You know, if a, if a, if a shipping line does stop calling to that port, what is your next plan of action? And I think keeping informed is... You know, one of the key factors in being able to come up with that that sort of plan. So those are. And really I
2: dare say, no, no, no CFO ever ran down to their supply chain department and said, "Fantastic news on the low rates, which we, we were able to deliver no product." Um, you know, it's that risk adjustment, and so I would say, risk adjusted freight rates. Um, or something that i would think about is if there's a low price there's always going to be a, a variation in price low to high um in your own mind as a, as a traffic manager quantifying that risk and seeing does the rate i am getting support this price and am i making the right decision rather than just isolating service and price as two separate things um, it's really i would argue that you should really be thinking about your prices um, in a, on a relative basis to what perceived risk, real risk, or, or, or value, um, and that you know, paying paying less for less is not more valuable than paying more for more. It's just a different value problem.
0: Right, and I and I guess on that note, I mean, talking about contingency plans and risk mitigation, where. Where do you see shipping in 5 to 10 years and what challenges do you think that that shippers are going to face? I mean you 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 touched on it a little bit earlier in the conversation but I just I think there's a little bit more to expand on with that. I mean it's obviously going to change and I just want your opinion on on where you see that going and what challenges they might have to face. Yeah,
2: uh, in my work before I joined Gemini, I spent a lot of I spent a fair amount of time um, talking a bit in, in retail analytics about you know customer behavior and what drives a sale and I think as from 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 what I was able to learn in the projects that I worked on in, in that space, um, how to cater to an incredibly fickle customer moving towards e com um, where you really have a chance to gain a sale and then if you miss it gone and they've moved on to someone else who was quicker and faster and had a product more readily available in front of them to buy today so I think for supply chain that ultimately has to has to make that happen um, you know the merchants and the, and the designers will, will, will make and build those product that those customers want and assuming they've done a great job at that um, it's still incumbent on the supply chain teams to have the product in the right place at the right time um, and I think that gets increasingly hard when the, when the cycle for sale in, in, the, in the dot-com world um, infinitely more quick than, than when everything was driven around brick and mortar. So from for, for my view, I would say that, you know, the big changes that, that I would see is the interconnectedness of supply chain planning with actual the retail side of, of an operation and, and really being able to gauge demand signals right off the you know, clicks on your e-com platform or the swipes in your POS system in a store and really start to be really understanding the demand planning side of this business and tying it back to supply chain. And I think over the last 10 years, there's been lots of work around that and, and a lot of good talk around it. But in the next 10 years, I think that's going to become almost core to supply chain is really understanding the information piece of it. So I don't see the big changes coming in how big the ship is or how long the truck is. What I really see is is how are you going to use the data um, about your customer, about your orders to tweak your supply chain in, in almost a real-time environment to, to, to have that good there, the right place at the right time for that customer.
0: Yeah, and I think an important factor to that is going to be, you know, keeping informed like you mentioned earlier um, and making sure you know as much as you can know on the subject, on the shipping lines, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I want to ask you, you know, what top supply chain companies or executives are you following and and where are some of the places that you you keep informed and you get some of your information?
2: Yeah, so we follow... um, we follow a lot of companies. Certainly, all of the liner companies that we're partnerships with, and and we work with with virtually all of the uh, large liner companies uh, that have operations. Certainly, touching North America. So we spend a lot of time focusing on them. But then we try and look. We try and look at some other spaces that I think are good demand signals for for the container shipping companies too. We look at the ports business quite closely. I think you know, 2014 when in North America there was, you know, real turmoil in Southern California, which then ultimately, you know, moved out to virtually all of North America, driven by, you know, changes in terminal operations in Southern California coupled with with some labor issues. Um, Understanding how the terminal infrastructure impacts the liner companies who are ultimately Either owners of or, or customers of these terminal operators. That's a big piece of it. Um, we follow you know the chartering industry, so underlying cost of operating a liner network is is driven on you know these ship costs. Um, so understanding the direction there. Um, I think the biggest one is is you know for us is in the cost piece um, for our for our partners is fuel. So while we're uh, in nowhere we. Forecasting oil prices here at Gemini Shippers Group, we are reading everything we can about them um, to try and gauge do we believe ultimately fuel going up, fuel, big piece of ocean freight, ocean freight going up. Um, and then I think maybe the most important is understanding what the customer thinks. So I would say we are voracious readers of everything driven around our member customers. Um, so our We have a lot of retail. We have a lot of fashion and fashion accessory members. So understanding their business and what are the trends there so that we can start to anticipate what their questions might be so we can start to think and work on answers so that when they ask them, we sound uh, wildly intelligent. Um, Or at least we try to.
1: So, Ken, what's next for Gemini?
2: So, you know, it's it's a great organization with a great history, but you can't just kind of sit... sit by and uh, and just uh, exist. So we're working hard on a, a couple of initiatives. I think one is certainly as a, as a member-based shippers association, um, like the liner industry, size does matter. Um, you know, we are, you know, we do have a scale advantage. We've built infrastructure to handle these contracts and rates and dealing with members, so putting more volume through that network, if you will, helps us. So we are actively working to to tell our story and and, and to tell people the benefits of, you know, really why a shippers association versus direct contracting with a carrier versus using maybe a 3PL, and we're kind of in that continuum. We're kind of in the middle of those two uh, opportunities, why that might be a a benefit to customers, so we're working hard on selling. The other part is, you know, the data piece, um, we see the digitization of the supply chain is a big part of that, And, and certainly we're working on our little piece of that we also are involved in that. So for many of our members, um, they rely on us for a lot of the um, IT pieces, supply chain, of we handle things like track and trace. So we're taking EDI feeds in from all the carriers, normalizing and cleaning them, and then we're presenting all of the customers' um, information on our dashboard in real time. They can see all of their shipments and, and get an idea. We're, we're getting all these rates that we negotiate on their behalf but, we're putting them in a dashboard. And then what we really what we just built here in the last year was um, an analytics dashboard where we could start to help them using visualization start to see trends and patterns in their shipments, So be it cost or cost per unit or cost per CBM by carrier, by month, seasonality, all those things that, you know, all those business questions that um, historically took someone a lot of time to get at. We've built an a, a interactive dashboard where they can get to most of those answers with a couple of mouse clicks. Um, so we'd like to continue to do that. You know, we're working on a, uh, we have a rate audit process today where we audit every single bill of lading um, and then alert the carriers and the members if, if we see a discrepancy from what we expected. So as we kind of go forward, we want to continue to build on that. Um, we've, we, this is, you know, for us, it's a home-built uh, platform. We have an IT department, and uh, and they, this has been an ongoing software that we started in, in eighty six, and and we continue to evolve it. So we see that as probably a, a big area. And then the third is, um, what other services can we help our members with? You know, typically we had we had worked very hard on on ocean freight and and getting them the best information and, and competitive intelligence on ocean freight. What we really see is ocean freight's a a piece of the puzzle, but not the entire puzzle. So how can we leverage what we understand um, across the other functions of the supply chain? So we have a a host of partner organizations we work with um, where we kind of try and find best-in-class partners, and then we can help those companies in in a very neutral and unbiased way, give give them some insight on what are the other opportunities that they should look at. And if they're looking at those opportunities, what companies might be able to help fill those voids. So we see kind of growing up and out at the same time, uh, you know, across the two accesses, more more volume from more members and giving those existing members more services.
0: Awesome. Well, it's really exciting, and I know that uh, Gemini is one of the, you know, companies that uh, we're definitely going to be watching as you move forward and you grow. But unfortunately, that's all the time we have for this episode. So I want to say thank you for joining us today. It was a pleasure to have you on. And I'm sure our audience is really going to get a lot out of this episode and uh, out of the information you were able to provide.
2: Terrific. Thanks very much for having me.
1: Thanks to Ken for being on the show today. Ken has given all the shippers in our audience a lot to think about and possibly implement in their strategies for 2017. Next week, we are joined by Nick Moreau from Hampton Products to talk about Incoterms. He says you are using FCA and FOB terms incorrectly and will tell you why that the Hanjang bankruptcy can still screw you. Remember to subscribe to our show on iTunes and Stitcher. See you next time on Two Babes Talk Supply Chain. And just remember, as always, ship happens.